Oye familia, do you have something to say? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, you probably have lots of questions like, how do I record an episode? Or how do I get my show into Spotify and Apple Music? Or my favorite, how can I monetize my podcast? The answer to every single one of those questions is pretty simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and super easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Having done podcasts the old way, I love how the Anchor app removes all the painful parts of editing, posting, and submitting episodes. It makes it so easy that you can focus on what's most important, and that's making more content. So if you're ready to start your podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's right, anchor.fm slash start. And join Social Sofrito in a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Social Sofrito is not your average social media podcast. This show mixes conversations around poetry, music, storytelling, art, culture, and brand building. These conversations hope to inspire you to create a strong foundation for your brand that will help you build relationships that transcend social platforms into real life communities. I hope you enjoy and I hope that you support this podcast. All right, so January has come and gone. We're now in February of the new year, 2020. And I want to first just really super thank everybody who's reached out, who've sent me notes, emails, DMs, etc. about my three words and how it's changing your life. I am so grateful that this year has been a pivot for so many of you. Um, I do appreciate the feedback. Keep it coming. If you have anything that you want to say to me, uh, just feedback at sofritomediagroup.com. That's feedback at sofritomediagroup.com. Uh, I appreciate all your comments and I get back to every single one of you personally. Uh, so I hope that um, that you continue to send this feedback to me. So before we set off this episode, I really want to take a moment to acknowledge somebody who is a personal hero of mine, somebody who I collaborated with a couple of times uh, from 1997 up until 2010. Um, that person is a uh, New Yorkian author, Piri Tomas. Uh, Piri Tomas was a Puerto Rican Cuban that grew up in Spanish Harlem uh, in a time that you know racial discrimination and crime violence were super rampant. Um, he was exposed to a lot of racial discrimination because of the fact that he was Afro-Latino. And he identified as black because of his Afro-Puerto Rican heritage. Uh, Peter Tomas was involved with drugs, gang warfare, and crime. And he spent seven years in prison. And he used his writing to reflect on the teaching of his, teachings of his mother and father. And he realized that a person is not really born a criminal. So he wrote a book that was super influential to me called Down These Mean Streets. And it was the first time I've ever written anything from a New Yorkian author that spoke about experiences that I have personally seen or experienced in my lifetime. Pedro Tomas worked with me uh, on a conference that I uh, organized at SUNY College at Old Westbury. 
back in the 90s. Um, I met him then, and we exchanged correspondence a couple of times in the next 10 or so years. Um, and eventually, I managed to convince him to come out from California to Brooklyn, New York, to perform at the Capicu Cultural Showcase with the assistance of a friend of mine named Steven, who actually financed uh, Piri Tomas's uh, pasaje, you know, his uh, his travel, so that he could meet him. Um, it was a beautiful experience, but unfortunately, it would be the last time that Piri Tomas ever performed, and he passed away uh, sh- a year after the performance in 2011. Uh, so in February, we dedicate uh, our show in February, the Capicu Cultural Showcase, to Piri Tomas and his love for our cultura. And um, because Piri Tomas was such a proud Afro-Latino, um, it's our way as Latinos to pro- properly contextualize the history of our African ancestry uh, with poetry, music, and art. So today I would like to, uh, since I'm talking about uh, cultural themes today, and specifically uh, our music, salsa and dancing, right? I want to uh, take a moment to just acknowledge Brito Mas for his inspiration in my life and the life of so many of uh, Latino community members who are out there today uh, making a difference and promoting our culture. So there you have it. Rest in peace. Rest in power. Don Pirito Mas. This one's for you. Salsa is a Latin dance that originated in around 1960s in New York City when Fania, a very popular record label, made it popular by blending different influences, rhythms, and styles of Latin music in New York City. Salsa dance socials are commonly held in nightclubs, bars, ballrooms, restaurants, and even outside if it's part of a festival. Salsa dancing is an international dance that can be found in most metropolitan cities in the world. Festivals are held annually. Those are called salsa congresses. They're hosted in various cities, aimed to attract a variety of salsa dancers from other cities and countries around the world. These events bring dancers together to share their passion for the dance, build community, and to share moves and tips with each other. These events usually include salsa dance performers, live salsa music, workshops, open dancing, and contests. So one of the things you may or may not know about me is that I once weighed over 360 pounds. And I had a couple of health scares that helped me put things in perspective and realize I was taking my life for granted. And because I had amazing friends, family, my my uh, co-volunteers at the American Diabetes Porto Familia Initiative, I was able to turn my life around. I was able to release over 140 pounds. And one of the things that I did to do that was not only super fun, but it was part of our culture. And it really made all the difference in the world. So today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how salsa dancing changed my life. I hope you enjoy. All right, so story time. I want to go back to when I was actually starting out in my health journey. And I'll probably say that the the one thing that really put me in a position to release all the weight that I did over the last couple of years was my salsa dancing, right? That was the one activity that I committed to wholeheartedly. And it's because of you guys I kept motivated and continued my journey. And I shared all of this with you on my website, sofritoforyoursoul.com. So this all really started on the advice of my physician, who had been monitoring my health and had been pushing me to lead a more active lifestyle. And after going what I would call, I guess, a diabetic crisis in the end of 2015, 
I decided that it was time to stop and remember that I was taking my life for granted again. I started looking at all my options and, and you know, that's what you do, right? Before the new year. Uh, my friends had suggested everything from Zumba to beach body workouts, Herbalife and everything in between. And I know that none of these options were for me. And being the cultural explorer that I am, I decided to revisit a personal dream of becoming a kick-ass salsa dancer. Something I really haven't accomplished 100% yet, but I'll be back. I was introduced to the owners of a Brooklyn salsa uh, studio called Salsa Salsa by my good friend Lisa Velasquez, who was a salsa student there. And she also actually um, danced with them as part of a group called Brooklyn Touch, uh, Bachata Performance Team, I think it was called. I was impressed by the school, the vibe, and the history behind the school, and I was especially drawn to the business owners, Marcus and Jose. They just were really driven to keep culture alive in an area that a lot of Latino businesses had closed in uh, due to gentrification. Um, so at that time, I was blessed to hear so many stories about salsa, specifically about how the music and dance shaped some of your lives uh, as my audience. I also heard that many of you wanted to dance again or have been procrastinating and didn't know how to get started. So I thought I'd put together something that would allow you to find your own studio and get in your salsa on. So here it is. So by now, I'm pretty sure that some of you are thinking about joining a salsa school now so that you can get healthy, have fun, meet new people, and just like feel energetic. So I'm going to preface my list of five things that you need to know before joining a salsa school by saying that Google is your best friend. Find at least three schools around your place, read the reviews, Yelp is super helpful, and go to your tribes on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and ask your friends if they've ever attended a class. One thing that I've learned that people are super passionate about the schools they belong to, so you're bound to get some great feedback about the schools that you're considering. I will tell you that I personally recommend Salsa Salsa Dance Studio in Brooklyn because of the community and the Salsa social structure that they support locally to give us a safe and fun space to come together and practice. So I do want to make sure that I let you know that uh, back in 2016, I was a paid ambassador for the Salsa Salsa brand, but I have so much respect for them that this is a promo, but it's not a paid promo. So. Salsa Salsa Dance Studio is conveniently located on 4th Avenue near Brooklyn's Atlantic Center, just a few blocks from the Barclays Center, Fort Greene's Theater District, and Park Slope's lively Salsa social scene. Salsa Salsa Dance Studio is proud to belong to a vibrant and growing center of art and performance. Check out their website at www.salsasalsadancestudio.com. Tell them that Hilaro sent you. Okay, once you've decided on a school, here's a couple of things that you may want to know before getting to the studio. The first thing you need to know is that there is no fancy dress code. You do not have to get a salsa outfit to go to class. Appropriate clothing for class is anything that you feel comfortable in. Many people come to class looking like they're going to the gym, which is kind of cool since you're going to work up a sweat. Once you've decided to commit to your second month, they do recommend that you pick up some shoes that will be comfortable. If you search online, they call salsa style shoes or jazz shoes. According to my friend Pito, who used to work at Salsa Salsa, you should try to get the ones that have the suede bottoms. He also said that Capizio is a popular brand used by many students to dancing salsa and bachata. Tip number two, courtesy is non-negotiable. And when I say courtesy, 60% of that means good hygiene when you're in a dance studio. You are going to come face to face with approximately 20 strangers in each class, and you're going to become friends with the ones that you're courteous to, I promise you. 
It is important that you smell good, that your breath is fresh, and that you take a moment to introduce yourself to each new partner. The other 40% is for the leaders, making sure that you're aware of your body proximity and that when you hold your partner, that you put your hand on the shoulder blade and no lower. Also, when you cup the fingers with your left hand, that you do not wiggle them in an awkward way. Last but not least, do not look at your footwork. It's not only going to trip you up when you're learning, but your partner may feel like you're staring at their body and make them insecure. Tip number three, safety is critical. If you have not been very active and you start salsa class, you may want to consider getting there 10 minutes early so that you can properly warm up and stretch. Many dance injuries or even discomfort happen because people do not observe the basic warm-up exercises that they would for other types of physical activity. One of the things that I did when I started salsa class was make sure that I went to YouTube to find a tutorial that would teach me how to properly warm up for any type of physical activity so that I would be prepared for class and not have any type of injury or discomfort. Tip number four, salsa is totally a social experience. In an ideal world, some people would love to bring their significant other, but if you're single, you cannot be in a better place to get out and meet people. The lessons in my studio are broken into two segments. Solo work, this is where you learn certain moves called shines as individuals. The instructor then breaks down the shines in six steps and you practice alone. The second half of the class allows you to partner, practice turn patterns with different partners in rotation. If you're part of a couple that wishes not to rotate, that's okay too. Tip number five. Your studio is invested in your development. Many studios host salsa socials. These are parties intended to provide you with a safe space to practice with other students in your studio, and maybe even people from other studios. I've attended two very popular socials in Brooklyn, both a block away from my studio and both sponsored by the studio itself. The first one is Tumbao at Yaya's Restaurant, just steps away from Barclay Center on Thursdays, and the second one was Cherry Tree Pizzeria on the first, third, and fifth Friday of every month. These socials provide you with a club-like experience without the extra clubby stuff. You know, people trying to holler at you, that kind of thing. Just really cool people networking, having drinks, and practicing their salsa and bachata moves with students and instructors alike. At the end of the day, it's all about muscle memory, so practice makes perfect and a whole lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. I want to make a quick correction. I've attached the audio of... P.D. Thomas's final reading when he was reciting Pedro Pietri's Puerto Rican obituary at Capicu in March of 2008, not 2010, as I previously stated. Um, I hope you enjoy this performance. Um, it's also available on YouTube. You could look for it by typing in P.D. Thomas Capicu. Um, Papo Swiggity, my partner, has posted it, as well as the young lady who actually recorded the footage. Her name is Toasty Girl, and we do appreciate her allowing us to use this footage for today's podcast. Thank you. They worked. They were always on time. They were always never late. They never spoke back when they were insulted. They worked. They never took days off that were not on the calendar. They never were on strike without permission. They worked 10 days a week and were only paid for five. They worked, they worked, they worked, and they died. They died broke. They died owing. They died never knowing what the front entrance at the first national city bank looks like.
Juan Miguel Milagros, Lord Emanuel, all that yesterday will die again tomorrow, passing that bill collectors unto the next of kin. All die waiting for the God of Eden to open up again under a new management. All died, hey, dreaming about America, waking them up in the middle of the night, screaming, Mira, mira, you have won uh, a ticket for uh, $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> All died. Hitting the grocery stores that sold them make-believe steak and bulletproof rice and beans. <laughs> wow. All died waiting, dreaming, and hating. Dead Puerto Ricans who never knew they were Puerto Ricans, who never took a coffee break from the Ten Commandments to kill, kill, kill the landlords of the cracked skull and communicate with their Latino souls. Juan Miguel Milagros, Olga Manuel, from the nervous breakdown streets with the mice live like millionaires, and the people do not live at all. They are dead and were never alive. Juan died waiting for his number to come again. Miguel died waiting for the welfare check to come and go again. Miguel died waiting for our ten children to grow up and work so she could quit working. Miguel died waiting for a five dollar a raise in my... Well, he died waiting for his supervisor to drop debt so he could get a promotion. <laughs> it's a long ride from the Spanish Harlem to Long Island Cemetery where they were buried. First the train, and then the bus, and the coal cuts for lunch, and the flowers that will be stolen with visiting hours are over. It's very expensive, very expensive. But they understood, their parents understood. It's a long, long hard ride from Spanish Harlem to Long Island Cemetery. Juan Miguel Milagros, Olga, Manuel, all died yesterday, today, and will die again tomorrow. Dreaming. Dreaming about uh, Queens and uh, clean-cut, lily white neighborhoods and Puerto Rican scene, $30,000 home, the first picks on the block to belong, proud to belong to a, a community of gringos who want them lynched. <laughs> proud to be alone, this is the way from the sacred place. Oh yeah, get back. <laughs> these dreams, these empty dreams from the make-believe bedrooms their parents left them are the aftermath of television programs about the ideal white American family with a black maid and Latino janitors mm. who are well trained to make everyone and their bill collectors laugh at them and the people they represent. One, he died dreaming about a new car. He began not dreaming about new anti-poverty programs. Milagro died dreaming about a trip to Puerto Rico. Olga died dreaming about, hey, real jewelry. Emmanuel died uh, dreaming about the Irish sweet They all died like a hero sandwich dies in the common district at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, social security, hey, to dust. And union dust, to dust. They knew they were born too weak. And keep the more teachers employed as long as they fed the legions to the flag that wanted them destroyed. Hey, they were trained to turn the other way, the other cheek by newspapers and misspell, uh, mispronounce, misunderstood their names and celebrated when death came and stole their finally, final long to ticket. They were born dead and they died dead. Juan Miguel Milagro Sola Manuel, 
All died yesterday today and will die again tomorrow. Hating, fighting, stealing, broken windows from each other, practicing a religion without a roof. The Old Testament, the New Testament, according to the Gospel of the Eternal Revenue, the judge and jury, an executioner, protector, an eternal bill collector, second hand shit for sale. Learn how to say, Homeward sounds big, and you will make a fortune. They are dead. They are dead, will not return from the dead until they stop neglecting the art of the dialogue for broken English lessons to impress the mistress, to keep them employed as lava plateau, porters, messenger boys, factory workers, made stock clerks, sitting clerks, clerks, assistant assistant, the assistant assistant, the assistant assistant. <laughs> Artificial smiling doorman for the lowest wages of the ages Enraged, will you demand a raise? Because it was against their company policy to promote sticks. Sticks, sticks. One died hitting me, then, because he gives used power in better running condition. And Miguel died hitting Milagro because Milagro had a color TV and he could not afford one yet. And Milagro died hitting Orca because Olga made five dollars more on the job. Olga died hating Manuel because Manuel had hit the numbers more times than she had hit the numbers. Manuel, he died hating all of them. Juan, Miguel, Milagro, and Olga because they all spoke broken English more fluently than he did. <laughs> <laughs> and they now are together in the main lobby of the void, addicted to silence, off limits to the wind, confined to world supremacy in Long Island Cemetery. This is a groovy thereafter, a Protestant collection, but I've talked so much and loud about it. Here lies Juan, here lies Milagro, here lies Miguel, here lies Olga, here lies Manuel, who died yesterday today, and will die again tomorrow, always broke, Always owing, never knowing that they are beautiful people, never knowing the geography of their complexion. Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. Y Puerto Rico, say, we're a beautiful race. Tony has turned off the television and turned their own imagination. If only they had used the white supremacy Bible for toilet paper purpose <laughs> and made their Latino soul the only religion of their race. If only they had returned to the definition of the sun and the first mental snowstorm on the summer of their senses. If only they kept their eyes open at the funeral of their fellow employees who came to this country to make a fortune and were buried without unawares. Juan, Miguel, Milagros, Olga, Manuel will right now be in their own thing where beautiful people sing and dance and work together where wit is a stranger to miserable weather conditions where you do not need a dictionary to communicate with your people Aquí se habla español Aquí you salute your flag first Aquí there are no doubt so commercial Aquí everybody smells good Aquí TV dinners do not have a future. Hey, whoa! Aquí, the men and women admire the time and never get tired of each other. 
Hakike pasa. Power is what that means. Aquí to be called negrito <laughs> is to be called with love. Punto. Punto. Hey, familia. Thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast, and I hope that you share it with somebody that you love. As Latino influence grows in the United States, the need to connect people to their cultural heritage grows exponentially. My dream is to continue to build community around the need to educate Latinos about their cultural legacy, as well as document our contributions to this country. I'm active on several social media platforms in order to keep that conversation alive. See you next time.